Have you ever experienced a time when a person came to you or you saw them come to another person and they had a word from the Lord? You know, a word from the Lord. You guys know what a word from the Lord is? Okay. Now, you got to understand something. Inside of our church, we believe that God still actively speaks today, that we can receive rhema words for today, and if we can't, let's just quit and go home because if He's not talking anymore, we're all wasting our time. Amen? I mean, even listening to me preach or listening to Stacy or John teach, or other training ground teachers teach, it's worthless if God's not involved, right? But if you ever, but we're not talking about speaking in that preaching kind of sense, but he also speaks in like a direct word. Like for instance, I made a joke out of it a little bit, but a, a, a guy that I'm getting to know, Jim Knight, uh, we were talking at, at uh, dinner on Friday night at Man Camp, and on Saturday morning I stopped by the store to get some Ricola cough drops, and I saw some peanut butter eggs, Reese's peanut butter eggs, and he had talked about that, and, uh, and I felt like the Lord said, get Jim a Reese's peanut butter egg. Now I made a joke at it at breakfast when I got back out to the camp, and I, I walked in and I said, Jim, I... I I have a word from the Lord for you. And he looked at me like, oh boy, where is this going? I said, I, I really feel like the Lord wants to say something to you today. And I'm, I've got my hand kind of cupped like this. And I, and I slammed my hand down on the table, not real hard, but you know, enough to get a reaction. And said, today is going to be a good day. And I lifted my hand up. Reese's peanut butter cups are his favorite candy. Now, I made a joke out of it, but I really did feel like the Lord gave me a word to buy Jim a Reese's peanut butter cup as a way of loving him, right? And then I told Jim, I said, you notice it's an egg shape, so it's for breakfast. (laughs) Okay. But, you know, I think people can kind of take words from the Lord like that. But have you ever got like one of those words from the Lord or you've seen somebody get a word from the Lord where the person kind of laughed it off? You know what I mean? Has anybody ever seen that? Raise your hand where somebody got a word from the Lord. Maybe it was a little hard or whatever. Like, give me, let me give you an example. Maybe a person had a terminal illness and somebody came to them with a word from the Lord that said, you know, I really feel like the Lord has told me that you're going to be healed, that he wants to heal you. And they kind of laughed it off, or some other people who were there hearing laughed it off. By the way, this is totally scriptural, because Jesus oftentimes said to people about being healed, and and they kind of laughed it off and gave reasons and excuses. There was a lame guy who was there at the pool of Siloam, and he and Jesus said, "You want to be healed?" And and the guys, and I think the guy probably laughed a little. <laughs> yeah, you know, he says every time the angel comes down and stirs the waters up, somebody else gets in it first before I can get in it, and. uh and it's too late. See what I mean? He kind of laughed it off. Maybe because of disappointment. Maybe because of all of these years sitting there being lame. And for whatever the reason, his heart wasn't in a place where he could receive that word from the Lord. Or maybe, maybe a person lost a job and a word comes saying that they're going to get a new job. Not necessarily a better job, just a new one. A different one. 
And because of the, you know, because of various and sundry reasons, they're, they're not able to receive that word. Or, or maybe your kids were spiraling out of control, or you knew somebody else's kids that were spiraling out of control, and they were going down this path of rebellion, and somebody came and said, you know, I heard from the Lord, and the Lord said, your son, your daughter is coming back home. And you laughed it off, or they laughed it off. Or maybe a marriage is on the verge of breaking apart. Papers have been filed. Maybe it's gone to the point that divorce has already happened and it's completely over and somebody receives a word from the Lord that says this marriage is going to be restored and put back the way that God originally intended it. And, and for whatever reason, you laugh it off. Or they laugh it off. Or a myriad of other examples that I don't know about that you know about that are popping in your head right now. Where somebody spoke a rhema word from God, a word for today. The speaker at Man Camp brought up, he said, you know, that it says husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and, and sanctified her by the washing of the word. And he said, you know, that word there, you know, a lot of times when we look at the word word in the New Testament, it's the word lagos, but the word there is the rhema word, the spoken word for the day, speaking the gospel, speaking healing, freedom, healing, and life. The rhema word. And, and we kind of laugh it off and... I wonder why we laugh it off. Do we laugh it off because we think it's funny? Do we laugh it off? Because it's a nervous laugh that I do this. When I laugh it off, this is typically why. And, I, and I'm guilty of laughing them off sometimes. It's a nervous laugh. Because I want to believe it so bad. But I'm afraid to be disappointed again. Is it because we doubt God and we're laughing in contempt? I mean, I've seen some folks do that. They doubt God, they laugh in contempt. Is it because we don't really know God well enough to know if the promise is even scriptural, so we laugh it off? Like, you know, some people struggle with, does Jesus still heal today? We don't know His Word well enough. We're not students of the Bible well enough, good enough students of the Bible, and I, it, we haven't studied it enough to know that can I even claim healing? Does Jesus even do that? I mean, there's entire denominations out there that teach that Jesus no longer heals. Yet they put Aunt Betty on the prayer chain when she gets sick. Why? If he doesn't heal. See what I'm saying? Like, we don't know his word well enough to know. Can we claim these things? I mean, are they scriptural? Are, what, what's going on here? Whatever the reason, whatever our reason is, whatever the reason of the person that we saw laugh it off, whatever reason, we often react in this way when we hear God's impossible promises spoken to us or over us or in our presence. We often react this way. Our goal today as we look at Hebrews 11, 11, and 12 is threefold. I have three things I want to accomplish today that I believe the Lord wants to accomplish for you today. So if you're taking notes, write these three things down and see if we get around to them. Okay? Number one. First, we want to come to a deeper understanding of why 
we react in the particular way that we do. Meaning how you personally react. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't Beverly coming to understand why Matt may laugh a word off. It's Matt coming to understand why Matt may laugh a word off. It's Beverly coming to understand Beverly's heart. It's Brian coming to understand Brian's heart. It's Kelly coming to understand Kelly's heart. It's Bobby coming to understand Bobby's heart, right? So coming to a deeper understanding of why do I react this way sometimes? It's the first thing. Why do I laugh it off sometimes when I think it's impossible? Second thing is to compare our reaction to impossible promises to the reaction that God wants from us. Okay, make no doubt about it. God wants a certain reaction from us when, he, when we hear an impossible promise and we want to compare our, our reactions with the reaction God wants. And finally, the third thing, and I'll go over all three of them again for those who are taking notes. Finally, we want to explore the interplay between our reaction and God's sovereign will. What I mean by that is, if I react this way and yet God is sovereign, how do those things work together in either thwarting or bringing about that promise? Do they work together? Right? So, we're going to come to a deeper understanding of our own reaction. Hopefully to a deeper understanding of how God wants us to react, and then an understanding of how it works, God's sovereign will, with our reaction, whatever it is. Important things about impossible promises. Amen? So let's pray. Holy Spirit, make known your truth to us today. Speak into every person, man, woman, and child who is in this room today. And I pray not only that, I pray for the men of our church who are not here and those who are not here that when they hear this sermon recorded, that you'll speak there too. Have your way. Help us to understand these three things. Help us to know what you're going to do when impossible promises are spoken. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. So we're going to get to the scripture. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 11. We're going to get to it in just a minute. Just hang in there with me because I want to explore some of our possible reactions first to come to that deeper understanding before we get into the scriptures. We're getting there. I believe the word is central to teaching. A sermon that's wordless, when I mean wordless, I mean Bibleless, is worthless. A wordless sermon is worthless. Amen? All right, so we're going to get there. And I know it's not normal for me to wait until later, but just hang with me. So, who knows what the word credulous or credulity means? Raise your hand. You know what credulous or credulity means. All right, sweet. I got a couple, I got a couple of nerds. <laughs> I know what it means too, so I'm a nerd too. So that wasn't an insult for my nerds. All right. So, <laughs> we're going to explain what credulity or credulous means, Okay. Credulity is a noun, and it it means this. It's a tendency to be too ready to believe something is real or true. So if you're credulous, you have a tendency to be too ready to believe that something is real or something is true. 
We could liken it in some ways, and you guys might say, well, why didn't you just choose these words? I'll tell you why I didn't just choose these words. We can liken it in some ways to being naive or gullible. Right? Now, here's why we might, ex- why I've chosen credulous or credulity over naive when talking about believing God. Okay? If we describe someone as gullible or naive, it means that person typically easily falls prey to someone's intentional deception meant to gain their trust. That's the gullible one. Or that they lack proper experience or training. That's the naive one. Both of them kind of carry with it this like hidden insult. Right? Either an insult at the person who's speaking or an insult at me. If I'm naive, I'm, I'm, I'm not experienced enough, I'm too dumb to get this. And, it has, it, you know, and, and if I'm, and if I'm uh, gullible, maybe I'm too dumb to get this, but that means that you're intentionally trying to mislead me. Like, Jamie, gullible's not in the dictionary, right? See, I'm trying to mislead Jamie right now. Some of you teenagers are already pulling out your iPad to prove that it's in the dictionary. Uh, that's the joke. <laughs> so, right, but... You know, it's the, uh, see how those kind of carry though with it these kind of hidden insults. So we're using the word credulous specifically because credulous or credulity is, is not that well known of a word. Only my, only my nerd friends and I know that word, you know. It's just that we have this tendency to be too ready to believe that something is real or true. It's not, it's not, that's a, you have this heart that just wants to believe. Right? It's not an insult. It doesn't carry any condemnation with it. And, and it doesn't mean that, that the person who's speaking to you is intentionally trying to do anything to mislead you. It, it's kind of, I guess, the super nice way to say somebody's naive or gullible. And sometimes being nice is good. Amen? Okay. But I also struggle with gullible or naive because if God's the one speaking the rhema word to the person who's delivering the rhema word, you know, God isn't trying to intentionally mislead us. Amen? I don't know if anybody heard that. If God is speaking to us a rhema word for the day, an impossible promise, God is never trying to mislead us. God is never trying to mislead us. Church, we got to get some interaction going on. I've been here 18 months. We got to we got to ramp this up. So, um, <clears throat> our our reaction though, as we talk about this, it's not about being naive or gullible. Sometimes we react in this way because we don't want to seem credulous. We don't want to seem too ready to believe. We're not saying God's trying to mislead us or, or if Matt comes to me with an impossible promise from God that Matt's trying to mislead me and we're not trying to say that I'm just too stupid and I don't understand and I don't have any experience and so I don't know. We just don't want to seem too ready to believe. We just want to approach this in this kind of guarded fashion. But why are we worried about this? Why are we worried about being perceived as credulous? We don't want to be credulous for a couple of re- for some different reasons, and I may I probably won't hit them all. 
But I think some of the reasons we don't want to be perceived as credulous is because we've believed before and not received. Right? Like, I don't know, maybe one time you got suckered by a televangelist and you sent in your $100 believing because he said, send me $100 and you're going to get a healing. And you, and you got suckered and you sent it in and you, were, and you believed and you didn't receive anything. And so you don't want to, it's not that you think the person that's delivering the word this time is trying to deceive you. You just, I'm hurt. I had faith before and it did not work out the way that I thought it was going to work out. And and I'm hurt and I'm standing back here injured and wounded and I don't want to be injured or wounded again. So I don't want to be credulous. I don't want to be hurt anymore. Maybe that's why you are maybe that's why you are holding back or laughing it off sometimes. You don't want to be disappointed or hurt. Another reason people will label us as religious fanatics. If I believe this, they're going to think I'm one of those weirdos. Yeah, maybe. Listen, do not fool yourself. Christianity is weird. We believe that God became a human, lived a perfect sinless life, took upon himself the penalty for our sin, and he could only do this because he never sinned, died to pay for our sin, three days later was resurrected and he is alive right now in heaven. And not only that, that if we will repent of our sins and put our trust in him, that we will become born again and he will actually come and live inside of us and empower us and live life again through us. And so it is no longer Jerry Breedlove who lives, but it's Jesus Christ who lives in me. So anything good that you see isn't Jerry, it's Jesus. That's just weird. So what? Just because it's weird doesn't mean it's not true. We've got to stop trying to fit into the world. No, listen. Like, I, I heard like one very hushed amen. So take this as, as, a, as a loving, gentle rebuke. Stop trying to fit into the world. Okay, try again. Stop trying to fit into the world. We try to do all of this stuff that makes us look like the world, that makes us palatable to the world, and it makes us not want to believe His Word. There are people who don't want to experience certain spiritual gifts that the Lord might be speaking over their life because what will people think? You're more worried about what Carol might think of you than what Jesus thinks of you? And I'm not saying Carol's worldly. I thought about that after I said it. I'm like, ah, it almost looks like an insult. Sorry, Carol, forgive me. Uh, but, uh, you know, who cares? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying being weird just for the sake of being weird. Okay. But believing God works. Does it make me weird to believe that God is a healer? Probably. But he says that he is, and so he either is, and I need to believe him in it, 
and, and maybe some unexplainable things happen that science can't explain. And I go, yeah, that's my God. He's awesome, isn't he? Or I, or I live in disbelief. Or I say he's lying. And if he's lying, let's just be honest, he's not worthy to be worshipped. If he's lying, he's not worthy of our worship. We don't like to put it in those kind of terms. It's like, well, pastor, that's like you're saying get off the fence. Oh, yeah. I'm saying get off the fence. I'm saying you cannot stand. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you can stand. I got a little crack here on the stage. With one foot in the world and one foot in the church. If you are standing with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, world's on this side, church on this side. If you're standing with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, you actually have both feet in the world. It's all or nothing with Jesus. His words, not mine. He says if a man comes in, comes into the kingdom and comes to follow me and he looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom. You can't, he says, you cannot love God and mammon. And this isn't an issue about money. This is just saying you can't love the things of the world and God. You will, you will, you can't serve them both. You cannot serve both. I actually had elders in a, in a church that I was pastoring at one point uh, say to me, that we can't teach these, there's certain doctrines that we can't teach at our church because the lost community will think it's strange. And I said, I don't care what the lost community thinks. They don't define our doctrine. The Bible does. Yes, I'm willing to be fired if you say... Nope, we can't teach this as truth. And you better believe this is a huge problem. Rob Bell, just on Oprah last Sunday, I think it was, affirmed homosexuality, and homosexuality is not the issue. Listen, we're getting sidetracked by homosexuality. And you may have totally missed what Rob actually affirmed. He said, we can't quote 2,000-year-old letters as being authoritative for today. He's talking about this not being authoritative. That's the 2,000-year-old letters he's talking about, the New Testament. He didn't call into question whether or not homosexuality was an issue or not. He called into question the inerrancy of God's Word and if it's good enough for us today... And we get so sidetracked on what the particular issue is, we're not seeing that he's undermining the authority of Scripture. And at one point in our country, he was considered one of the most influential men of the year. By the way, I knew back then he was a heretic. And, and lots of pastors did. Rob Bell has never preached anything biblically sound, ever. His NUMA videos that everybody loved, are heresy. He says in like the second one that Peter sank on the water because Peter lost faith in himself. Uh, no, it's not why Peter sank on the water. It's always been there. The heresy's always been there. But I digress. See, so Rob didn't want to look, Rob didn't want to put his authority in, in, in trust in Scripture. 
He wanted to let the world define. He wanted to have one foot in the world and he didn't want to be seen as a religious fanatic. Oh, well, get over it. And by the way, I'm praying for Rob Bell that he comes to a place of repentance. The Lord still loves this guy. Okay? So as I talk about this, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to chunk a stone at him. You know, if I'm not careful, I I could be where he's at. Okay? Here's the next reason. We don't know our Bible, so we don't know if the promise is scriptural. I've already talked about this. I've already talked about this. I I don't want to seem credulous because, well, I don't know what the Word actually says. So rather than going and seeing if the Word actually says this, we just like, uh, we laugh it off. Right? Or this one, this this is a tough one. We received a promise from God before, like the rhema word was spoken over us, this impossible promise was spoken over us. We received it and didn't like it. And like we know we got what he promised and we didn't like it. Like I know that God called me to put my name in as the senior for the senior pastor of the International Church in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia while I was at Crossroads. And I know that that fell apart. And I could have said, God, and, I, and when I did that, we transitioned leadership of the church over to somebody else, a church that I loved, people that I dearly loved, people who are to this day still some of my best friends in the world. And the Lord said, no, you have to go ahead and leave. You don't start... You don't turn leadership over to somebody else and then take it back. You have to go on. And I could be like, well, Lord, you told me to put my name out there and and I don't really like what happened, so I'm not doing it anymore. I'm laughing it off. No, I'm not allowed to react. Well, I am allowed to react that way. We've got free will, right? But I mean, maybe that's happened with you. You know, like maybe God called you to follow him to a new job with higher pay and better benefits, and yet you got there and you found out that, yeah, it's got higher pay and better benefits except for the fact that there's all kinds of stress and heartache and resentment now that I'm here because I don't get to spend time with my family anymore. And God, I really don't like the promise that you gave me. I really don't like the fact that I'm having to deal with all this stress now. See what I'm saying? Like we've, we've heard the promise and we believed it and we stepped out into it and then we didn't like the results. Or this one, the promise... Uh, simply seems far-fetched. It's way too good to be true. There's no way I'm understanding this correctly. This is where I want to transition into Sarah's story. Not Sarah Breedlove's story, but Sarah, Abraham's wife. And And we're going to get to the Scriptures in just a moment. But I want to share Sarah's story about Isaac, right? You got to understand Abraham, and it's Abram, Abram, sorry, I don't know how to talk. It's Abram initially until God renames him, and it's Sarai, you know, but we're going to just stick with Sarah and Abraham so we don't have to transition the names at all the places that they need to be transitioned. So Abraham is called by God to go into this new land. He's called to leave everything behind, to take all of his flocks, to take all of this stuff, and and to go into this new land, to this promised place. And God says, I'm going to give it to your, your, your kids. He's got no kids at this point. I'm going to give it to your offspring. You're going to populate 
the, the earth, my, my, the family of faith is going to be named through you and, and through your offspring. And I want you just to pack up everything and go. And I want you to follow me in this. this and, and I promise that I'm going to fulfill it. Crazy promise. And Sarah's like, all right, let's do this. Right? And they go. And they're, they're doing all this stuff. And there's some moments in here, different places where famine, severe famine comes on the land. And, and, and so they go to Egypt. And then, you know, Sarah is such a fine, fine-looking woman. And this is the truth. I mean, it says it in the Scriptures. It doesn't say she's a fine, fine-looking woman. It says that she was so beautiful that Abraham knew that they would kill him to have her. So he says, let's go into Egypt. And when we get to Egypt, we're going to lie to everybody and tell them you're my sister and not my... Not my 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 wife, which is kind of a partial lie because they were actually half brother and sister, and I know that's kind of eh, listen. It was close enough to Adam and Eve that the DNA wasn't all messed up, and it wasn't until after then that God said no more marrying close relatives. It was fine at that point, okay. <clears throat> But so they go over there and all these different things happen. But you know what's happening through all this different story is that Sarah and Abraham are getting older and older and older and older. And there's no baby, let alone a family. And Abraham's like, well, a baby's through Lot. And it's not, no, it's not through Lot. And, and, and Abraham is getting discouraged. And Sarah comes to the point that she gets so discouraged in this that she goes to Abraham and says, you have my permission to have an affair. I will let you have another woman. Take Hagar. Have a baby with her. Now, some of you think, oh, this is just a cultural thing back then. No, listen. Hagar got pregnant and Sarah resented her. Sarah treated her like dirt. It, what Sarah started to do because she took this into her own hands and, and because she was struggling to believe this impossible promise from God, she took it into her own hands and she was hurt and she was bitter. And now I told you to go be with Hagar and I told Hagar it was okay, but now I just want to beat this woman up. Right? And she gets to the point where she says, I, you need to send her away. And Abram doesn't want to do it. Abraham doesn't want to do it. And God says, listen to Sarah. Listen to her. And Abraham, God meets him and speaks to him again and says, I'm going to give you a son. And by the way, you moron. I know it doesn't say, by the way, you moron. I just kind of feel like that's what he's probably saying. By the way, you moron. It's going to come through Sarah. This son is going to come through the wife of your youth. And Abraham laughed about it. We always hear about Sarah laughing about it. Abraham laughed about it too. They were old. The story tells us that Sarah was actually so old that the way of the women was not with her anymore. That means that she had been through menopause at a long time before. Sarah could no longer have babies. Everybody knew it. And Sarah laughed. This was Sarah's reaction. So let's briefly recap it. 
Sarah's reaction throughout the, po- throughout the whole process kind of encompasses our, our possible reactions. I mean, let's start. Sarah was the girl that every girl wanted to be, and she was also the girl that every man wanted to have. Like Genesis 12, 10 through 20. Don't go there. It's in your homework this week. Okay, all these scripture references are in your homework. Don't turn there. Genesis 12, 10 through 20. They explain how Sarah was so beautiful that Abraham was worried about how it was gonna, she was going to be reacted to. She was worried about it. And I mean, let's just be honest. Ladies, if you don't want to feel pretty, raise your hand. Okay, one young lady doesn't want to feel pretty. The rest of you do. Right? And Sarah was pretty. Like, everybody recognized that Sarah was pretty. That's right, check her for a fever. <laughs> so, uh, Sarah, Sarah was beautiful, so beautiful that, you know, I mean, and, and she's what everybody wants to be. And besides that, she was a submissive wife to Abraham. And, and every man wants to have a wife that will follow his lead. I mean, he said, hey, let's lie about this and all this. She's like, okay, let's do it, you know. She, she wasn't just beautiful. She was willing to follow Abraham's lead when he came up with a plan. Not only that, she was married to a fat cat. Abraham was so stinking wealthy that him and Lot had to separate. Because they couldn't, they would, it was too much of a draw on the land just to feed their flocks and to take care of all their stuff. And they're like, man, this is going to turn into a family feud if we don't get away from each other. I mean, Abraham was rich. And what woman doesn't want to have a guy who can, you know, have her to be a kept woman? You know what a kept woman is? Mama don't have to work. Mama don't have to do nothing. Mama can just sit back and enjoy life. And I can, and guys, listen. It's okay if, you're, if your wife is not a kept woman, but if in a godly way she could be, you know, you could do it. Trust me, she'd like it. She'd like it. Now, I'm not saying that she wouldn't work because some of us would still because of, we like doing that, but, you know, it's kind of nice to not have to worry about whether or not we can pay the mortgage or if the car breaks down, no big deal. We'll just buy another one or fix this one. No big deal. You know what I mean? So, I mean, she's in this position. I mean, she's, she's a kept woman. I mean, and who, who wouldn't want that kind of security and those things in their life? And Sarah, she, she married Abraham, and then Abraham received this crazy promise from God to move to a new country where he would be prosperous. And Sarah believed that he'd heard from God and followed along with it, and she banked her life on it. She's this woman that everybody wants to be and that everybody wants to have. But the problem is, is the promise probably didn't turn out the way Sarah thought it would. They, I, I've already told you, they faced famine at times. She was actually taken by Pharaoh as his wife while she was married to Abraham. And then the ultimate disappointment, the ultimate slap in the face for a woman in the Middle East during this time period was she could not give her husband a child. Ultimate slap in the face. You want to talk about worthless? That's what, that's what made girls there feel worthless. It wasn't the laugh lines around their eyes. It wasn't, I mean, they, the Song of Solomon and... and the preacher this weekend told us, don't go home and tell your wife this, because he said it's a different culture, different time. He said, Song of Solomon, she, he's talking about how beautiful she is, and says, you know, you have a belly that's like a heap of wheat, 
Apparently she was a little pudgy, so that was cool back then. Still cool nowadays, just so you know. Just ask uh, Megan Trainer, whatever her name is. Um, but anyhow, for those of you who don't know, ask the teenagers. They'll tell you who she is. Um, but anyways, you know, but, you know, they face all these problems and, and God was prospering her family, but not in the way that she thought because she didn't have this baby. And so I already told you that Sarah decided to take things into her own hands. I told you how she did this in Genesis chapter 16. She, she told that, she told Hagar, you can do it and told Abraham, you can do it. And yet she got bitter and she eventually explains, eventually God explains to Abraham that Ishmael is not the son that Abraham needed. This promise was first given to Abraham alone in Genesis chapter 17, and then it, then it was reaffirmed in Genesis 18, but all of Sarah's past experiences caused her to laugh this word from God off. She laughed when she heard it. She didn't want to seem credulous for various and sundry reasons, and I know I've guessed at a lot of them, but I mean, I'm just kind of applying human nature to what must be going on in her life. Right? I mean, we see the things that are there in Scripture, the truths that are there in Genesis, and you're going to read, if you do the homework, the Scriptures that I provide to read up on, check me and see if I'm lying to you, you'll see that these, all these things are there, and Sarah was probably reacting in these ways, and some of them we know she reacted specifically in those ways because it tells us. She laughed when she heard it. Was it contempt? Was it disappointment? Was it disbelief? Was it a lack of knowledge of God and His Word, a combination of it all? Who knows? But she laughed. But here's the crazy thing. Let's read Genesis, or Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered Him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Sarah laughed. But let me tell you what Sarah eventually did, and this is what God wants us to do. See, we've already come to a deeper understanding of how we've reacted. How does God want us to react like this? Eventually, Sarah took the needed steps to become pregnant after years of failure and being too old. She tried anyway. She knows she can't get pregnant. She knows this promise is beyond impossible. And I don't know how you get beyond impossible, but, you know, there's no way. There's no way. And without getting explicit, she did what was necessary. She did the required steps. She didn't just sit back and say, well, if God's going to do it, He's going to have to do a miracle without me participating in it and, and because I'm just tired of this. No, she did what it took. She may have laughed at first, but she did what it took. She said, okay, God, I'm disappointed. Maybe I'm crushed. Maybe all of these things, but I'm going to step out in faith and do what it takes to receive this promise. Some of you ladies sent your husband to man camp this week and he's been to man camp before. And you've been excited for him when he comes back from man camp, but you haven't seen him pick up and start leading the way you want to be led. 
Some of you kids have seen your dad go to man camp and you, you've seen him say, oh, this is so great and, and this is such a wonderful experience, but he's come home and he's continued to lead you the same way that he's led you. And so you're having a hard time believing that when we come back from this thing and we start next Sunday night on this, on this every other Sunday Bible study, that it's not just going to turn into another dad with the boys thing, it's gonna, but he's actually going to start leading the family this time. Dad's actually going to start reading the Bible with me. Dad's actually going to start praying with me. Dad's actually going to start being the kind of godly leader and I don't I don't want to believe it but I'm telling you be like Sarah even though you may be laughing it off step out in faith step out in faith tell him boy you better get your rear end of that church at six o'clock and lead me I really want to do it in my Beyonce voice, but I'm not going to. All the single ladies, you need to look at these men and tell them, like Stacy did, come on. But you know what? It may not just be man camp that's the issue for you. It may be other stuff that's going on. But the bottom line is, whatever promise God has spoken to you, we need to take the needed steps of faith to receive God's promise, even if we have tons and tons and tons of good reasons to doubt. God says, trust me and step out anyways. Even though you have all these reasons to not step out, trust me and step out. He says, put all your eggs in my basket. Give it, give me everything. This is what he wants. But here's the really cool thing. How does Sarah and our reactions, good or bad, work in conjunction with God's sovereign will? This is the interplay. Two passages of Scripture in Genesis paint a beautiful picture of the interplay between our response to God, good and bad, and the fulfillment of His will in our lives. I want to start with the later passage first. So the the thing that happened last, we're going to start with first. And then we're going to go to the thing that happened first, which is really where it all comes together. And I just started bawling when I thought about this. See, in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7, which I am going to read, but don't go there. Just trust me, you're going to read in your homework. See, You can check on me to see if I'm right. It's such a neat thing to read because in the passage you you can picture Sarah and Abraham. Remember they laughed before? You can picture them laughing again, but in a different way. Here's what it says. Genesis 21, 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when, God, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And... and You think about this fact that they're laughing in a different way. God redeems Sarah's doubt, which was expressed in her laughter, by turning it into a laughter based in joy and fulfillment. 
You might have laughed in doubt about a promise that God had spoken to you. He's getting ready to turn it into a different kind of laughter that's based in joy and fulfillment. He didn't hold her doubt against her. He continued working to turn her doubt into faith and ultimately that faith into realization. God is not holding your doubts against you, church. He's not holding those laughs that you've had, those struggles that you've had. He's not holding it against you. He's working in your life through faith to bring those into a different kind of laughter. He wants to redeem them. He wants to turn it into the laughter of praise. But as I read that passage in in Genesis chapter 21, I just started bawling. Because I remembered something I had read earlier. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 17 and 18, before Sarah ever laughed, before she'd ever heard the promise again, God is the one who told Abraham what to name Isaac. God said, you'll name him this. This is what you're to name him. You're going to name him Isaac. And the name Isaac literally means he laughs. God knew before he ever gave the promise this couple would doubt. He knew that the doubt would manifest itself in the form of laughter and yet he promised it anyway. And he fulfilled that promise and in the process of fulfilling it he acknowledged that they doubted but he showed that the promise rested not on their faith but on his character. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. For by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age because she considered him faithful who had promised. It did not rest on her faith or doubt. It rested upon the character of God. Noted theologian N.T. Wright explains it this way. Faith here in this passage from Hebrews is not a general religious attitude to life. It's not simply believing difficult or impossible things for the sake of it, as though simple credulity was itself a virtue. The faith in question as becomes increasingly clear throughout Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith which hears and believes the promise of God, the assured word from the world's creator that is also the world's redeemer. It ultimately brings about the fulfillment of promise through Abraham and his family. Let me just put it to you in Jerry Breedlove language. Jesus is our redeemer and our redeemer lives. And it is true even when we doubt And he is always working for our good. Some of you have laughed. Some of you have doubted. Some of you are, God is calling you to do certain things right now and internally you're laughing and you're not willing to step into those things for different reasons. Each one of us has different reasons and hopefully we've come to understand those today. But I'm here to tell you that God... If he promised it to you, 
it rests upon his character, not upon yours. So believe him. You're going to want to get a picture fast. Homework. Because I'm going to go through this really fast. I don't want to mess up what we're talking about here. Homework, Genesis 12, 10 through 20 for Monday. Tuesday, Genesis 13, 1 through 18. Wednesday, Genesis 16, 1 through 16. Thursday, Genesis 17, 15 through 21. Friday, Genesis 18, 1 through 15. Saturday, Genesis 21, 1 through 7. I want you to go read the story about Sarah and Abraham. I want you to read and see if all of these things that I've said about them are true. I want you to see that Abraham laughed and that Sarah laughed and that God knew they were going to laugh before they laughed. And he promised anyway. Because the worship team is getting ready to come forward and we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have an altar call. And we don't always do altar calls, but we're going to do an altar call today because maybe you've heard a promise from God. But then you doubted it. And the altar call is very specific. This is, and and if, if this isn't what you want prayer for, stay, stay there and, and just say to the people around you, hey, would you pray with me? This is what I want prayer for. Okay, here's the thing. You've doubted, you've laughed, and you're feeling guilty about it. Now, maybe you didn't physically laugh out loud, but you get the point. The altar call up here, if you come up here, what I'm going to pray with you is that the condemnation that you might feel will go away that God knew you'd laugh before he, he spoke the promise. And yet he spoke it anyway. And that he'll restore to you that right feeling with him that said, I'm not to be ashamed. Now, there's probably a million other things people want to pray about. Do that in your seat, okay? Do that in your seat. But before we do that, we're going to pray as a group and then we're going to, the altar will be open to come and pray. Father, have your way today. Lord, I believe wholeheartedly this is probably the most powerful sermon I'll preach all year, but Lord, I don't know if people are getting it or not. It's up to you. Lord, speak to these people. Speak to your people that they will know that whatever doubts they've had have not disqualified them, that there's no condemnation, that there's no shame but that you took their laughter into account when it happened. Before it happened, you planned for it. Have your way. Restore your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said,